Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Great seeing you this morning, man. Thank you so much for showing up in the house of the Lord in Wanatal and North Johnson and Hebron campuses. Come on, would you give all of our campuses a good hand clap this morning? They're joining us. They've been worshiping. I want you to grab your worship guide and you open, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 7. Pastor Matthew will be preaching back in a couple of weeks, but I, I told him before he preached again, I wanted to make sure that he gives me the two most difficult subjects uh, of the questions that we're looking at all this year. You know, we're looking at this series of questions. There's over 300 questions that Jesus asked, and we've been looking at some of them and just kind of walking ourselves through the text and through the Bible and some of the questions. And somebody asked, well, how are you going to preach 300 in, in uh, 52 weeks? Well, I don't know. We may go to 2024, and uh, I don't know. We'll probably do something else. But Matthew chapter 7 this morning, you know, Jesus had to have a sense of humor. You understand that? He, that there had to be moments in Jesus' um, life when he was upon the earth and he was having conversations, you know, and there, there had to be moments when people just had to break out in laughter. Think about the time when they run out of wine at the wedding and Jesus told the servants to fill the wine uh, jugs up with water, come on, and then take them back to the wedding. There had to be somebody giggling as they're doing this. And, Are you kidding me? What are we doing here? This morning is one of those things when we look at when Jesus talks about the beam, the log that's in a person's eye versus the speck that's in another person's eye. And basically what Jesus will do in this message today, and we're going to kind of unpack this, is it how that we all have a tendency sometimes to handle the blemishes and the faults that we have differently than how we handle the blemishes and the faults of other people. Have you ever noticed that? Come on. Have you ever noticed how we have a tendency that we overestimate our sincerity, and yet we will underestimate the sincerity of somebody else? We have a tendency sometimes to tolerate our sin over the sin of other people in our lives. And, and what basically Jesus is going to talk about to this morning, that we need to take the time to remove the log out of our eye before we start trying to pick at the speck in somebody else's eye. Now, I love this church, and I love the fact that we are a church that's built upon the fact that we want everybody to know Jesus Christ. We want to give people opportunities to know and to love Jesus Christ. And part of that is being able to live in a culture like we're living today. And how do we navigate this culture that is so much crying out for justice? They want justice. They, they demand justice now. How do we as Christ followers live in this world that's crying out for justice? And how do we operate in his mercy and his grace in our lives and in the lives of others? Come on. You understand that? So this morning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, I want to I just pick up 
at the, at the verse, he said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is still a log in your own eye? And then verse 5, he uses a very sympathetic word. You hypocrite. <laughs> Don't you just love Jesus? You hypocrite. I mean, he calls us out. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, now I want to look at the context around this, this plain concept that, that real quickly. Prior to making this statement concerning the plank in our eye, Jesus is talking about judging, and he's talking about condemning. And, and, and it leads to what I, what I think is a very necessary question we have to kind of wrestle with, and just what is what does it mean to judge, and what does it mean to condemn? So I, I put in our notes this morning a working definition of what it means to judge. To judge means to come to a final conclusion about a matter. When a person judges in a, in a negative way, you're coming to a final conclusion. You're slamming the hammer down, and you're, you're, you're making a sentence upon that person in that situation. To, to condemn means to pass a sentence on someone, usually based on a presumption of guilt. Condemnation usually comes out of the presumption that I, 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 I assume that, that you are truly guilty, so out of my presumption of your guilt, I'm going to make a declaration and a condemnation. And you, when you look at those two words together, judging and condemning, basically here's what Jesus is saying happens. You're, you're putting yourself in the seat of a final judgment and pronouncing damnation upon a person. In, in essence, here's what he's saying. You're making a final conclusion about the eternal condition and destination of a person which none of us are in the position of doing. Now, now, now just stay with me because we're going to navigate this. How do we live in this broken world? How do we live in this world where we want to stand for truth and righteousness, which we do, right? Come on. We want to stand for truth and righteousness. And yet, how do we live in this world to make sure that we're not judging and condemning people in, in such a way that we're making a final conclusion about the eternal condition and destination of that person? There's so many things that can happen in our culture today. There's behaviors and activities that if we're not careful, as Christ followers, it's one thing to point out sin happening, sin in a person, sin in a behavior. It's another thing for me to take that sin in that person's life or behavior, and I am the one, not God, but I am the one that put a judgment and a condemnation upon that person, and I make a eternal, I make a conclusion about their eternal condition and the destination of that person. For instance, let me tell you. Suicide 
is, is a horrible thing that happens to family members. It's a horrible thing for any, anybody to go through. I have preached more funerals for suicide victims than, than I would care to even remember about. But one of the things, I, I grew up in a culture that if somebody took their life, there, there was a conclusion, there was an eternal conclusion about the damnation of that person's soul. They did that, they go directly to hell. Now, if that's your view, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here going to argue your view. I'm here going to tell you, though, that I've always asked God to help me never put myself in the position that I make that kind of conclusion. I don't make excuses for behavior. I don't, I don't somehow or another put that person in heaven, but I am quick not to put them in hell. It's not me that's the final judge. We're going to see that in just a few minutes. J.D. Gear, concerning this passage, he says this, that our culture holds two unshakable assumptions right now. And, and here's what we're dealing with in our culture. Our culture has these two unshakable assumptions. Number one, religion is private and morality is relevant. Religion is private. And we, we hear, well, I, I just feel like that my religion is a personal thing. It's just between me and God, Pastor. Have you ever heard people say that? You know, I feel like that what I believe in, my, my faith is a personal thing, and it's a private thing, and it has nothing to do with everybody else. And morality is relevant. Moral or immoral is relevant to the circumstance or the situation in which a person's at it in. That's the reason why we live in this culture right now that cries out about, against the rise of crime, the absence of virtue, the, 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 the things that's happening, while at the same time believing that truth and morality are all relevant. Moral relativism teaches that ethical truths don't come from God, but it depends upon the individual or the group who holds them. Right, come on. That's the culture that we're in right now. Now, in this culture where religion is private and, and somehow or another we believe that morality is relevant, it's so easy if we're not careful to find ourselves in one of three positions. And the first position is just simply that some people say, well, whatever. I mean, just, just whatever. Whatever feels good to you, whatever you want to do, I don't care. Whatever is between you. You're not, if you're not hurting somebody else, whatever. Come on, you, you, under, you ever met somebody who lived with a whatever mindset? Whatever you think is right, whatever you feel, if you're sincere, then you're okay. Whatever. Oh, that's a dangerous way to live. You understand that? It's a dangerous way to live. God doesn't want us to live with that whatever mindset. But the other side of it is the whack everyone mindset. It's the whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese that you go there with your grandkids or your kids. Come on. You ever seen the game? Head pops up, whack away. You know, we, we live in this culture today where there are people the moment they see somebody's behavior that they think is wrong or they feel the Bible says, they want to take out a hammer and they want to whack them on the head. Whack them up. Come on. You come to church, you don't do what? Whack them up. Whack them up. Listen, I grew up in a whack-a-mole church, okay? 
Love the church. Thank God for my heritage. But listen, I lived up, I, I grew up in a whack-a-mole mentality. You don't do right. You don't live right. You don't behave right. Whack-a-mole. There wasn't much grace passed around. Come on. And we know that there's people right now in our culture that way. We have the whatever churches, and we have the whack-a-mole churches. Hello. I'm going to, boy, is somebody going to help me preach? All of my preaching grandsons are at other campuses. I need some, I need some, I usually got a few fans over here in the corner, but, but we understand. We live in a culture today where they have the whatever churches, doesn't matter, whatever you do, how, whatever you believe, you know, any way to go to heaven, always lead, all dogs go to heaven, all cats go, everybody goes to heaven, nobody goes to hell, and then also we have the whack-a-mole churches where you get whacked about everything, you know, you do this, you do that, and you get whack-a-mole. But, but there's a third category, and this is a category that I that I truly believe that this church tries to navigate through, and it is to follow the Word of God, church. It's to, what does God's Word say about circumstances and situations? Now, sadly, that mindset in this, in this uh, religious culture where religious is private, morality is relevant, sadly, it's, it's getting few and far between. Barna, according to Barna Organization, they asked, Christian Americans. Now, seven out of ten in America say that they, they, they're Christian, but they ask them questions about lying and cheating and sin and the nature of God, and they found that just one out of ten, ten percent, tragically, only ten percent had a biblical worldview on those issues. Only 10%, 7 out of 10 says I'm Christian, but only 10% has got a biblical worldview on, on issues that are critical to our culture and where we are going. Now, there's a new book out called, called uh, uh, Unchristian. It's about 20-somethings, what the new generation really thinks about Christianity. And they said this, 9 out of 10 young people view Christians as judgmental. Nine out of, now, now listen, now we, we got a great youth ministry. Our, our pastors do a great job. We're, we're in seven or eight schools with, with, with some programs that we're there building Christian character. This church goes hard. But listen, we understand the fact the more you rub shoulder with young people today, particularly 20-somethings and under, they are getting harder and harder against the church and against Christianity because of the hypocrisy they see in it. Are you following me? The judgmentalism that's happening. Now, what's this? It's not in your notes, but let me just share this with you. When, when, when we get judgmental, when, when a Christ follower gets judgmental, it's usually because one of, of two reasons, or sometimes both, but it's usually one or two. Number one is we get imbalance when it comes to justice without love. We, we get imbalanced. We, we, we become judgmental when we're over here and we're just in the justice and we're just in the right and, and, and they're, they're wrong and we have no love and we have no mercy about ourselves. We're, we're quickly to forget when we meet people sometime, but for the grace of God, that might be me right there. Come on. You understand that? So we get imbalanced. The other reason, though, is insecurity. 
See, see, judgmentalism happens in the life of believers when we're so insecure and we want to feel better about ourselves, so we look for ways to compare ourselves to somebody else, and we're quick to say, well, at least I'm not like them. Hello? At least I don't do that. Now, I know I ain't perfect, Pastor Phil, but at least I don't do that. I've heard that so many times. Yeah, but listen, what happens is, and what Jesus is going to teach us, the judging others and finding ourselves in the cause, I'm going to show you, he doesn't say don't judge, period. He gives us a clarification of how it's supposed to happen. But listen, what, what happens is that, that the way we judge others comes down to what's the end result of what we're trying to do? If, if, if I find myself passing judgment on somebody, is, is, is my goal of sentencing them, putting them in a place of damnation, or is it in the process of saving them? See the difference? I judge you, either I want to sentence you, I, I, I want to bring the whack-a-mole hammer down upon you and, and just tell you how bad and how wrong and how wicked and how, how, how terrible you are, I want to sentence you. Or if I find myself in that mode where I'm judging the fruit of your life, it isn't about sentencing you, it's about saving you. You see, we either sentence somebody with, with, with no hope of restoration or we seek to save that person, helping them to identify what is impeding your vision and how can I help you to get rid of that. Look at your neighbor and say, that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. That's good preaching right there. I can give an altar call. We can say, you know what, Pastor Phil, I certainly got to do better. I don't want you walking out here just with a case of do better today. I want the Holy Spirit to help us, to speak to us in our life, to say, God, how can we live in the broken world? How can we live in the midst of all the confusion that's going on in our culture today? And how can we live as lights that shine instead of lights that blind? How can we be salt that's seasoned rather than salt that burns? So Jesus, in, the, in this passage today, is positioned, when you start reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's what theologians call, he goes up on the mountain, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5, he talks about the Beatitudes. He lists eight things, eight blessings that happens to obedient people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry and righteous. He goes on, blessed are the merciful, pure in heart. Blessed are those who persecute you because of righteousness. So he goes through this whole blessing. Then he challenges us in Matthew 5 to be salt and light. In what? There's this dark, decaying world that's going on. And then he ends chapter 5 calling us to love our enemies. He gets in chapter 6. He teaches us how to give, how to pray, how to fast, how to seek his kingdom above everything else. Then he gets to chapter 7. In chapter 7, he starts out, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now again, well, he, he, again, he's talking about judge here. 
in the Greek, in, 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 the, in Jesus' time, he's talking about criticizing, condemning judgmentalism that's happening. But there is a way, and he's going to show, there is a way that we can judge somebody carefully by discerning and helping them see what's happening. So Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 7, he doesn't say, judge not, period, right? Come on, it's not there. Look at it. It's not there. He doesn't say, judge not, followed by an exclamation point. He isn't telling us that we don't judge. He isn't telling us that you're out of line if you make a call. But rather, he's giving us a qualification of what type of judgments to make and how do we make them. It isn't the exclusion of, against judging, but he's saying, now what's it? He's saying, listen, we have to be careful that we don't judge improperly. So write this down and you know, here's the sermon. Here's the summary of Jesus' sermon in one sentence. Avoid critical judgmentalism while embracing careful judgment. That's what he's saying. Avoid critical judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is the whatever mindset, or it's the whack-a-mole mindset. Judgmentalism is saying, I don't care, it doesn't matter to me. It really, no. Or judgmentalism is saying, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, he said you have to be careful and avoid critical judgmentalism while embracing careful judgment. Now, again, Jesus had Pharisees and teachers of the law around him. that they, they were so quick to condemn people that was not part of their religious group. They looked down upon people that didn't jump through their holy hoops. And listen, the religious people of Jesus' day was quick to rebuke those who lived differently than they are. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you've got to be careful that when you judge someone, now what's this, listen, you judge someone that you don't assess their position in life as you dismiss their person and their value to God. Now just see all that for a second. When I judge someone, I've got to make sure, now again, it's easy just to pick out what you think is wrong or right in our culture today or what you believe the Bible to say is right or wrong. It's easy just saying, that's wrong, that's wrong. Oh, that's really wrong. You're surely going to go to hell for that and that. Come on, it's easy to do that. And if we're not careful, we assess people's position in life, but we also dismiss them as a person and valuable to God. And what is it? Jesus was a master of being able to see people and look past the damage of sin in people's life and see the image of God that was in them. And that's what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Because when we condemn someone, we're declaring that they have no value or no worth to God. We're making a quick, harsh, hurtful decision. Romans 14 and 4 says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? When you follow Jesus, Jesus had no tolerance for people who would not tolerate others. You understand that? Listen, 
Matter of fact, in this passage, he said, he states two things are going to happen for those hypercritical, holier-than-thou people who want to make quick judgments and harsh judgments. They will have no tolerance. Number one, he said, you're going to have the boomerang effect, okay? Because that's what he says in the second half of verse 1. He said that, he said, judge not that you be not judged. And he follows this up with, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use it will be measured to you. Now, he uses the word you there to personalize it for every one of us. In other words, if I judge somebody, if I make a harsh judgment of somebody, and I bring the hammer down, I make a condemnation, and I condemn that person eternally, Jesus said, just newsflash, you're going to be judged with the same judgment. And whatever measure you use, it's going to be used to measure you. Woo! Does that make a difference? Again, I'm walking around with this big old plank in my eye, and somebody's got a little splinter in their eye, and I've got my measuring stick, and I'm measuring, you don't measure up, you got out of here. You don't measure up, you're out of here. You don't measure up, you're out of here. Listen, if we measure people according to our standards, they never measure up. You understand that? That's the reason, that's the reason why we have to be careful with the litmus test of who we think are going to go to heaven one day. The Bible has already got its own litmus test. It doesn't need me or Heartland or the symptoms of God to make their own litmus test. Jesus has already said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You can't go to the Father except by through me. He didn't say you got to pass through Heartland or the symptoms of God. Come on. He said it's through him. Jesus said there's a boomerang effect. There's a couple real good Old Testament examples. I don't have time, but Judges chapter 1, there was a ruler there that when he went to take captive, he was supposed to kill all the wicked kings and the soldiers, but instead of killing them, he cut off their thumbs and their big toes rather than following the command of God to, to annihilate them because they're so wicked. He just tried to unable them to hold a sword or to be able to walk only to find himself later on when he gets captured, he has the same thing happen to him. The boomerang effect. Esther chapter 7, Haman erected a gallows, said he was going to try to hang Mordecai, but guess what happened? Haman ends up getting hung on his own gallows, right? What is that? It's the boomerang effect. Jesus is just simply saying the standard that you and I use to judge others is going to be the standard that God uses to judge you. So if I get away from this book as being the standard, and I make my own standard, I use my own measuring stick, like some whatever churches do, or some whack-a-mole churches do, not the Word of God church. If I make my own, guess what happened? Jesus said, well, no problem. The same judgment you use to be measured again is also going to come back to you. Well, then he says, <laughs> then he says, we not only have the boomerang effect, we've got the beam effect. Because he asks this, this, this penetrating question to get to the other reason why we should not be uh, critical, judgmental towards other people. He reminds us, he says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? 
What is that? What is he saying? He said, we have a tendency. We want to maximize the faults of other people, but we want to minimize our own faults. True? Now, this question had to move the crowd to laughter. They, they, because the picture that he's painting, I, I got a little something. The picture that he's painting is you've got, you've got a person that's got a little speck. That word speck is splinter, stubble, a little piece of chaff. You've got a little speck in your eye. But the word log, it was a, it was a roof log. It could be 40 feet long and 5 feet wide. Jesus said we have a tendency when we look at our faults, we're blind to what we have going on, but we magnify what everybody else has got going on. See, I grew up in a church when a lot of, a lot of preachers, my dad was slim like I was, I'm kind of built, but there was a lot of fat preachers in, in the Pentecostal church. Years ago, fat preachers. I mean, they would talk to you, they could lay their hands on the belly. And those fat preachers used to preach against smoking. They would preach, man, you're going to go to hell. You know, God, heaven don't have a smokestack coming out of it. Bless God. And the, the crowd would just cheer. And then after they'd have service, they'd go down to the basement for chicken dinner. And that old preacher would open up his coat, and he would just clutton himself to death. Was that a log and a speck thing? I don't smoke. I never have. I think it's deadly. I think it's harmful. But, but truly, are you going to go to hell over smoking rather going to hell over gluttony? I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. What, what Jesus is saying is it's more dangerous. It's more dangerous that, that the sin of hypocritical, where we're so critical and judgmental, is more dangerous sometimes than the actual sin going on in somebody else's life. We, we walk around and we got this huge rafter in a protruding from our eye, and yet somehow or another, we think we can see clear enough to get the small speck out of somebody else's eye. We think we know. Like this guy, he was trying to find a girl to bring home to his mom that she liked, and he, you know, he dated and he'd bring girls home. She'd always pick her apart, find some reason why that ain't, she ain't for you. You can't marry her. Finally, one day, frustrated, his friend said, well, why don't you find a girl just like your mama? Why don't you find it? She looks like your mama. She dresses like your mama. She, she looks, uh, you know, acts like your mama. What do, and the friend thought, well, maybe. So, so he acted and found a little girl there in the town, and he started dating her, brought her home to his mom. Several weeks went by. He sees his friend again and said, how's it going? He said, how does your mom like your new girlfriend? He said, she loves her, but my dad hates her. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. Just like your mama. What's this? Jesus, Jesus kind of goes for the juggler on judgmentalism here when he asks this follow-up question in verse 4. He, said, he says this, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's, this, when there's this log in your own eye? Now, what's this? How does a log develop? I mean, Jesus is saying, guys, we all got some issues, but how, how does the law, and, and I got to thinking about this, and listen, often I think that we're, we're sometimes, it don't make us bad people, but sometimes we're incapable of seeing our own plank 
because our plank has developed over a period of time. You follow me? It just don't happen overnight. But it's a little bit of hurt, a little bit of dis, uh, betrayal, a little bit of dis, uh, disappointment, and all of those things go unconfessed, and those attitudes go undealt with. Before you know it, they grow, and, and we have this huge, critical, judgmental spirit about ourselves. Oh, we, we're Christian, but we go to church, and we cross our arms, and we are going to examine everything going on in that and look at every person going, and I think they're saved. I don't know about her. I know he sure ain't saved. Now you don't you don't you don't start like that. It develops over time. You don't deal with those little issues. They get in your heart. All of a sudden, they seed, and you guinea sack things away, and all of a sudden, you've been hurt. You've been disappointed. You've had people lie to you, and then all of a sudden, you're walking around with a suspicious eye about everything and everybody. Everybody you meet, you find, oh, I know I know they seem like they're saved, but I do. you better watch them. You ever notice the text on those little side mirrors on all of our vehicles? It, it reads, objects in the mirrors are closer than they appear. Now, we know, we know that they're there for safety warning reasons, and they're required, you know, to be there. But listen, what, what if we had something similar imprinted on our souls? Your sin is closer than it appears. Because It is. Now, again, over time, I look, and it seems like mine is so far removed that it's still there. And I have to be careful that because I made a choice and I made a decision and I fought through my generation's temptations and battles, I have to be careful, oh, this is good. I have to be careful that I don't look at this generation and I pass a judgment on them because they're not doing so well fighting through their temptations and battles. I'll be honest with you, I never, I never had to battle question my identity, who I was. I knew who I was. But neither did I have it constantly whispered in my ear to put doubts inside of my ear. You follow me? And if we're not careful, sometimes we're so quick to judge somebody who's struggling in that area. And you think, well, bless God, I tell you what, I know I'm a man. I'm a man's man. Yeah, that's because you'd get slapped by people if you wasn't manning up when I grew up. They helped us be a man's man, right? Now you got to be careful. Well, that's just me. Let me, I'm meddling. I know, I'm sorry. Let me come back. So, so here's some reasons why we have to avoid critical judgment. Number one, we don't know all the facts. See, when you look at somebody's life and you've got this plank in your eye and they got a speck, and Jesus said you have to be careful because, listen, none of us, Proverbs 18 and 13 said, if, if, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Again, sometimes it's so, we're so quick to make a judgment and a condemnation and we condemn a person before we hear, before we hear, what they was really struggling with. Going back to suicide. I hate suicide. It's horrible. It does so many deadly things to family members. 
But just to stand and proclaim that person is in hell because of one act, does it mean that somehow or another they forfeited all of God's good? Listen, I don't know, but I sure don't want to be the one that puts them there. You follow me? That's all I'm saying. We, listen, we, we struggle. It's got, kind of like this warehouse owner that, that he shows up one day to a, for a surprise visit at his warehouse, and he's walking around, he's looking. He sees this guy over with his foot against the wall just kind of propped up doing nothing. Warehouse owner gets furious, goes over there to this guy, said, listen, said, how much do you make a week? I said, about $300. And the guy, wretching his pocket, pulled out $300, said, take this money, get out of here. I don't want to ever see you again. Yeah, I looked down at the money. He was, he was, you know, just stunned that he had the money. But he walks out the door. All of a sudden, the warehouse manager, kind of noticing what's happening, owner walks over to the warehouse manager and said, I want to know right now, said, how long has that guy been on my page? How long has he been stealing all this money for me? Guy said, he doesn't work here. He's just a pizza delivery guy. but he's $300 richer that day. Come on. When you don't know all the facts, sometimes it's better just to be shut up. Keep your money in your pocket. Come on. Secondly, we don't know everybody's motives. We don't know somebody's motives. It's, it's impossible to know another person's heart. I'll be honest with you. We, we don't even know what lurks in our own heart sometimes. True? The reason why 1 Corinthians 4 and 5 said, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things not hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. You understand all this cry for justice we demand? Listen, let me just say that if you're looking for hope in political justice, I'm telling you, you're already lost. Redemption is not going to come politically. I'm going to tell you that right now. From somebody who I believe in voting, I believe in going, listen, do not sit on your hands and your blessed assurance and don't vote. But listen, my hope is not in political justice right now. Political justice is not, listen, the only justice is going to happen when the Lord himself comes and he brings to light the things that are hidden in darkness and he's going to disclose the purposes in everybody's heart. I can't do that. You can't do that. Only God can do that. So we avoid critical judgment because we don't know the motives. We don't know the facts. Thirdly, we have to distinguish between biblical issues and personal preferences. Listen, there's some things in the Bible that's always right, and there's something that's always wrong, but there are other issues that there is preferences involved. Paul addressed this issue in, in Romans chapter 14. He wasn't addressing Christian theology, the Trinity, the crucifixion, the deity of Christ. He wasn't teaching, addressing moral teaching of sin and righteousness. He's talking about biblical issues and personal preferences about matters of eating and not eating. And listen, what, what Paul was trying to get the people to understand is that, that personal preferences, listen, it, it, it's, it's, like, it's like mayonnaise and Miracle Whip, okay? It's like root beer versus Coke. If you don't drink root beer, you're wrong, it's bad, but I don't think you're going to go to hell for it, okay? 
You can live off of Pepsi products and go, you're going to be fine. But what is it? That's a preference. But it comes to the Bible teachings like salvation through Christ, the Trinity, heaven and hell. There's no preference there. God says it's this way, and that's the way it is. God defined it. You understand that? And what we have to understand is that we have to be careful in, in when we get in this critical judgmentalism that we don't, we don't separate between what's a biblical issue and what's a personal preference. You realize how many churches split uh, 15 years ago because of music, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when we started singing off the wall, you know? The hymn books got put away. Antichrist is showing up in the church. Oh, my God. They're singing courses out of psalms instead of hymns out of the hymn book. Oh, my God, that church is going to hell for sure. Ten years ago when pastors stopped wearing ties and started going into the, into the pulpit with blue jeans on, there were some churches that freaked out like, oh, my God, the roof is going to fall. No, that is personal preferences. You understand that? And Paul said you have to be careful. Number, number four, we're all sinners. <laughs> Listen, unfortunately, some of us think that our sin smells different than other people's sins. <laughs> I tell people all the time, sin's like poop. Everybody stinks, okay? Okay, just face it, Everybody. But listen, the difference is, is that I want to gloss over my sins and I want to gossip about yours. Ooh. I want to gloss over about the indiscrepancies I have in my spiritual life. But we want to get in prayer meetings. They say, now folks, I'm not gossiping, but I just want to let you know the Lord's laid on my heart. I just feel like this group needs to know for prayer purposes. The sister Elizabeth has been having some issues, and I just want to tell you right now, she's very ungodly, but I'm not gossiping. <laughs> now, I know you've never been in some of those settings, okay? You've, you, it, listen, I have, and it is just hilarious. I had one lady at a church where I pastored. Her tongue was so loud, she could sit in her living room and lick peanut butter off her spoon in the kitchen. I mean, it was long. She <laughs> Number five, are we having fun yet? This is the only way I know how to deal with a real serious subject, folks. Listen. Number five, the reason why we have to guard against critical judgmentalism is that we have to guard against seeking revenge. Listen, again, it's so easy in our culture right now that's crying out, demanding justice, that, that we get so worked up on certain issues. We get, so, we get so frenzy about certain issues that we end up taking it out on people. And we lose the value of the person because we're focusing on the destruction of the sin. In, in Luke chapter 9, verse 44 James and John and Jesus, they were headed into some of the cities of Samaritan, and, and some of the cities of Samaritan sent word that they didn't want Jesus coming in their city. And when James and John heard about this in verse 54, James and John said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, them dudes was worked up. Hey, listen, they just don't want us in their city. You want to burn them up? 
follow me? The Bible said that Jesus turned and rebuked them. Boys, chill out, okay? There's other places I can go. Matter of fact, it was getting very close that Jesus was about to be uh, ascending up to the heaven, crucifixion. He, he was winding up. He wasn't bothered because that one city didn't want him there. Number five, we're all going to face judgment one day. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? Listen, we're all going to face judgment one day. God is God, and I'm not. God is God, and I'm not. God is God, and you're not God. So I want to be careful that any judgment that I pass on to somebody else, that I make sure the boomerang effect, the beam effect is happening, Jesus said. I want to make sure that I understand, hey, Phil, you're going to have to be judged one day. So we're to avoid critical judgmentalism. So how do we do that? Close, let me close with this. Come on, Pastor Lindsay. Three ways, number one, to, to ha- three ways to see the plank in our own eye. Number one, just remember. Just remember. Just, just listen, when was the last time you stopped and you remembered what you were, who you were before Christ? Your B.C. days, before Jesus. Or how about this? When's the last time you remember how you acted when you were an early Christian or a young Christian? I, I'm, I'm so thankful today that I respond differently today than I did, you know, 50 years ago as a young believer, young Christian, to certain things in my life. You know, people, people think that, you know, that, that sometimes, you know, leaders with vision and stuff are, or, you know, you know they're, they're, they're harsh and they're, they're, they're forward, they're full. Listen, when I was 16 years old sleeping on the gospel tent, I would fight at a drop of a hat. You come in the tent trying to steal our equipment, trying to get stuff from us, let's go. We're going to rumble, okay? I don't, I'm not that way today. I can't remember the last time I fought. Last time I did, I, I was on my knees and I was begging Miss Rhonda to come out from underneath the bed and... Or she was begging me to come out from underneath the bed. What I'm sorry. She was coming out. She said, come out from underneath the bed and fight like a man. What's wrong with you? No, listen. I, when, when, listen, seriously, when was the last time you remembered who you were and what you were before Christ come in your life? Listen, the truth is, apart from Christ, none of us look good and we certainly don't smell good. So before we condemn, before we bring out our finger to point at somebody else, we got to remember there are three fingers pointing back at us, and we got to stop and say, you know, Jesus said it last week in John 8 and 7, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Again, I don't know if it's just because of some of the people that I run with sometime and minister to and, and we have conversation with, but listen, I am so much more quick today to look at somebody and their lifestyle and their behavior and, and understand real quickly, but for the grace of God, that might be me right there. I'm so quick to do that. Years ago, I wasn't so quick. Secondly, review. The crux, of what, the crux of what Jesus is saying here of how we can be so quick to judge another person happens when we don't stop and remember and just review what's going on the inside of us 
What's happening in my heart right now? I see this and I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm upset. But wait a minute. Why, why, why is that? Have I forgot that God is the one that's going to bring about justice? Lord, you need me operating in this broken world in love and mercy. So I just stopped for a few minutes and, and just review. Listen, Jeremiah 17 and, and, and 9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things. So we review. And what happens is that as Haggai chapter 1 verse 5 says this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Look at the plank that's in your eye. Look at the things that's happening in you. Now again, Jesus doesn't say, well, well don't make any judgment. No, he said, first deal with what's happening in you. And then lastly, just relax. We just relax. We just understand that we have a God that is going to right every wrong and bring about justice one day. But what if in our relationships with our kids, with our grandkids, with our siblings, with our parents, with our neighbors, with our the people that we're friends of sinners? Remember last week we said we're friends of sinners. Well, what if we started erring on the side of grace rather than the side of condemnation? I'd rather err on the side of, you know what, God? I don't understand that. I know what your Bible says about that, but I, I'm going to be I'm going to be slow to whack a mole that person. You follow me? I'm going to just relax just a little bit and realize. Write this down: that without complete information, any conclusion you come to is probably wrong. The first person to speak in court always seems right until his opponent begins to question him. <laughs> I love Proverbs on that one. Again, how often do we jump to conclusions and make a judgment without having all the information? You see, sometimes when I see somebody living in a broken life, demonstrating horrible behavior and lifestyles, Sometimes I just need to stop for a few minutes and remember and review and just relax and just realize I don't know how much that person did not want the things that happened to him in life or her not to happen. When I, when I, when I counsel my wife and I over the years counsel women that's been abused, men that's been abused, children that's been abused, and so many times people are quick to make judgments. Well, if they did this and if they did that, listen, so listen. sometimes it, it's just better to stop and say, listen, I don't know how much they did not want it to happen. Secondly, I don't know how hard they, they're trying right now to keep it from happening. When somebody keeps falling back into the same a temptation over and over again, again, sometimes it's so easy for people to say, oh, whatever. Or other people to whack them all, hit them on the head. Or the Word of God people step back and say, wait a minute. I don't really know how hard they're trying right now to not fall back in that same temptation. 
what can I do to come along beside them and give them some support that maybe they don't feel like that they have? You follow me? And then lastly, we often don't know how much a person really regrets decisions that they've made or decisions that have been made for them. We've got an entire culture right now, going back to the identity right now, that we've got parents making decisions for young kids that some of these young kids that are already now several years past and they're looking back and they're, they're, they're having so many regrets that their parents made such a decision for, for certain things to happen to their bodies that now they're, they're having to deal with that emotionally and mentally. Listen, sometimes we don't know what people are going through. I love what Psalms 103 says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Listen, have you noticed that the God who has all the information on every one of us in this room and all of our campuses, God's got all the information that he needs to pass a judgment today, but he chooses not to. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He's got the full list. He could drop the scroll out this morning and say, listen, I know everything. But you know what I choose to do? I choose to respond to you in compassion and grace and love and of mercy. I love that. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You think it would make a difference in our life and in the lives of people around us if we treated people that way? I mean, I think this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. In fact, he wraps up this same disclosure. In, in Luke's gospel, he tells us about the same thing, but in Luke 6 and 37, he wraps it up and he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. In other words, Jesus said, if, if you look to forgive somebody rather than condemn them, it's going to go a long way helping you see the plank in your own eye rather than focusing on the speck. Lastly, write this down. Don't let judgment impede your compassion today. I think that's the message this world needs to hear right now. Is there going to be a judgment? Will men and women have to stand one day and give an account? Listen, this pastor believes it 100%. But I refuse to let judgment impede my compassion on this culture that we're serving right now in our, in our northwest Indiana and wherever we are in our campuses. Because when we really love somebody and care about that person, listen, we're not going to be quick to judge. When we really love and we care about that person, Listen, we're going to be people that moves in mercy and moves in grace. Listen, I, I Jesus, again, was a master of never assessing a person's position of where they were at and dismissing their value as a person whom God loved. The woman in adultery last week, listen, it would have been so easy for Jesus to assess her position. She said, they said she was caught, but he listened. Even while assessing her position, he never dismissed her as a person whom God truly loved. That's my challenge to us. 
And I know some of you have got family members and some of you have got relationships and some of you have got people that you rub shoulders with and you engage with. I believe that the Holy Spirit will help us to deal with our own blind spots so we can be conduits to help others with their spec. Listen, the truth is we're, we're going to find ourselves on both sides of that. The truth is sometimes we're going to be helping others with their plank in their eye and we got the speck or sometimes we got the plank and they got the speck. And listen, both sides, listen, both sides, you know what it requires? It requires humility. We have to be humble. Come on, I want you to stand with me. We have to be humble enough to know how to help and be helped in a way that leads not to sentencing, come on, but leads to salvation. That's what this church is about. I Listen, I want to help lead people to salvation. I want people to see transformation happen in their lives. I don't want to sentence a person to the point that they feel totally helpless and hopeless to the point they say, well, why even try to go to church? You follow me? Man, everybody's told me I'm doomed to go to hell, so why even try? I want them to feel like there's a place to go, that we're going to be the Word of God people. We're not going to be whatever people. We're not going to be whack-a-mole. We're going to be the Word of God, and we're going to stand here and we say, listen, we've got some planks that we've been working on, and there's some pecs, some specs that we think God can use this church to help you with. And those specs are those, those things those blemishes that might keep you out of his kingdom, would you allow the Holy Spirit to deal with that in your life? Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at Pastor Phil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.